this year, Te Papa hosted the 2015 Treaty Debates. The panel discussion was titled Healing the Past, Building a Future and focused on the settlement process and iwi moving forward in a post-settlement phase. The panel included Te Ohukaimwana Chairman Peter Douglas, Māori Trustee and CEO of Te Tumupairua, Jamie Tuta, Chairman of Waikato Tainui Executive Board, Te Arataura, Rahui Papa, and Executive Director of Ngāti Tuarangatira, Matsu Rei. Tonight, you'll hear a few highlights from the debate. Panel Chair Susie Ferguson first asked Matsu Rei what it meant for Ngāti Tuarangatira iwi to get acknowledgement from the Crown and whether it changed people's lives. Well, I, I think it's too early to say that, whether it's changed lives or not, but I, I think... Uh, uh, from my perspective, at any rate, uh, it's certainly changed our attitude to our iwi members because up till now we've been uh, seeking redress uh, for a number of years and, and, uh, and challenging uh, the Crown. Um, and now that we've achieved a settlement, uh, we now have the obligation of moving forward and the obligation of now uh, both growing and protecting the interest of each and every single member of the tribe. Uh, so that's, that, that becomes sort of like a burden, and it certainly is a big challenge. But what it does mean is that we now, um, and we now have to have, uh, and we have to retain and sustain and maintain a mandate from our AWI members for us to continue to operate. And I think that's, that's quite a big change that's happened within the tribe and within our board and within our management team. Uh, because, of, because for most of our tribe, most members of the tribe, they will never have the opportunity to be on the board or in, in positions of responsibility within the tribe. Their, their main contribution would be on an annual basis uh, to vote in an electoral process. And so it's extremely important uh, that we make, ensure that that process is clean and transparent and that we honour the mandate uh, that the tribe give us. CEO of Te Tumupairua, Jamie Tuta, discussed his role as a treaty negotiator and the moral imperative of the treaty. First and foremost, it's really about understanding what a treaty settlement presents. And so having been involved in uh, two sets of treaty settlement negotiations, um, there's both positive and negative aspects of the, the process in terms of the division that can be caused if uh, you don't prepare well um, and that you don't, if you don't have you know, good transparent processes and engagement uh, processes with your people. Um, but I think you know, from my perspective, the most recent uh, treaty uh, negotiation I've been involved in uh, we front-loaded a lot of the uh, work in terms of how we built clarity and understanding among our own iwi, in terms of those things that are important. We developed a framework by which we could basically assess what we were doing and what the Crown were offering, um, and it provided an opportunity for us to wānanga. Uh, so we looked at the, uh, the settlement processes, process as one of how we could bring our people together to learn and understand their history which in turn would strengthen uh, not only the negotiating team but also the iwi members so that when we were to engage with the Crown, uh, we were very clear about what's important, uh, what we were seeking to achieve through the process. And recognising that the process itself for us and from my experience, it's not about cash and, and um, particular pieces of redress. It's actually more, and, more than that and it, it runs much deeper than that.
It's about acknowledging um, those things that happen to our, to our tūpuna, but also um, ensuring that we can sort of put those behind us and move forward into the future. CEO of Te Arataura, the Waikato Tainui Executive Board, Rahui Papa, discussed how treaty settlements affect relationships within the iwi itself and between Māori and Pākehā. From my perspective, Waikato Tainui has gone through, uh, and almost every iwi, uh, or actually every iwi has gone through a turbulent uh, um, love-hate relationship with the uh, powers that be at any particular time. Pre- uh, Pre-Daupatu, pre-confiscation, was a very, very strong relationship between, uh, for, for us, Te Whero Whero and Governor Grain. That turned sour in 1863, where we went to war with each other. Uh, that turned good again with uh, the Governor-General and Te Pua and Peter Hurinui uh, coming to the first settlement in 1946. That turned sour again uh, with the change of government and the new uh, impositions that were being put on uh, Waikato Tainui. Uh, and really... Uh, as Jamie says, it's, the settlement was about uh, uh, the anger of the past uh, being laid to rest and the uh, new promise of, a, of, a, of prosperity into the future uh, being uh, progressed. But really, uh, in a post-settlement phase, um, the relationship in 1995 was the promise of a renewed uh, relationship based on good faith, based on whanaungatanga, based on talking with each other. And over the 20 years, last year, last December, represented the 20 years since the heads of agreement for Waikato Tainui. Uh, and uh, even now, 20 years later, uh, the protection of the settlement has been uh, a b- pretty rocky road with the different uh, political regimes and the different political protocols uh, and policies that are coming out of the beehive. Uh, some of those aim to unpick some of the things that were said in, said in concrete 20 years ago. Uh, some of them have been very, very, uh, you know, uh, working in tandem with uh, uh, different ministers over different governments. Uh, but some of the some of the policies have actually been to the detriment of our settlement. And so, uh, you know, and just the progression of settlements over the 20 years is uh, is stark. So, in 20 years ago, there was no office of treaty settlements for Waikato Tainui to work with. It was Treasury and the Ministry of Justice and uh, those types of things. And then different progressions throughout the settlement history have, uh, have come and gone. The relationship now uh, is a, a very strong relationship. But again, uh, you know, uh, we'll have to take uh, every uh, government uh, at, at, at face value, really. Te Ahukai Moana Chairman Peter Douglas talked about the relevance of the settlements. Well, I, I think treaty settlements are a second chance at the social issues. And I think that if we think about our history, um, what motivated people to pursue solutions through the treaty um, or to try and establish a treaty process had a lot to do with the social and economic circumstances that people found themselves in. So when, when the British joined the common market in the 70s, it had a big impact on the labour market in New Zealand. Nobody would listen to the Māori leadership at that time and um, so they had to resort to the treaty process to get some attention. Now, you won't want to forget that that's where the, the um, motivation started when you're dealing with your settlement later. So you should, I, th- I think you, you should be looking at your settlement as a means to an end. You need to understand where that end would be, um, the improvement of social conditions within your people in such a way that you can prepare for the future and using that settlement as a means to get you to that 
uh, that objective. Jamie's talking about a very progressive approach to trying to incorporate as many people into their process as they can, but not everybody has been able to do that. And the process as it exists is quite a destructive one, and it creates quite a lot of... Um, it's quite a debilitating one because all of your attention is focused on going through a process that encourages conflict within your, organ, your, your tribe and, and, and on the outside with your neighbours. Um, you've got to get over that at the end of that process with those people that you've had to deal with. Um, there's all sorts of squabbles that exist at the moment between people who think they should be the negotiators for a tribe um, instead of the people that have been selected or elected in order to do that. Um, I don't know whether or not they've got the right experience to do that, but if you go through a process, you've got to live with the consequences of that process. Um, but it is, I mean, it's, a, it's, a, it, it's, it's probably a little trite to think that just because you've settled and you've got your agreements done that everything's going to be smooth running from then on. It's not like that. I mean, I administer one where it's, there's been a lot of squabbling for a long time, uh, where I come from in the King Country. At settlement date, once your legislation is passed in the House, that's actually the start. And as Peter sort of rightly um, says, I mean, a settlement is a, is a means to an end. It's not the end. And I think there's a misunderstanding among the general public that at the conclusion uh, of, a, of settlement negotiations and the passing of legislation that the settlement process is done and dusted. Actually, that's just the beginning of what Rahui has described as a renewed, reinvigorated relationship with the government. And, uh, that, and it's, the relationship starts there. And, um, and I think, you know, that's what we need to sort of get people to understand, um, that it actually just starts then. And just touching on the other point that Peter makes, I think it's important that, you know, Māori and iwi need to reframe what success looks like, that end, um, according to their kaupapa, according to their tikanga. But in doing so, I'd hate people to sort of leave uh, this evening and think that, well, it's up to iwi uh, to address all of the social and culture, you know, the social ills of their people. Remember that the government still have Article 3 obligations, and what I see is that a settlement provides some meagre resource for, to strengthen the tribal institution, to enable the tribe to engage um, more, more actively with the government, and then sort of work in partnership. I think you know, we're coming to an era of co-governance and co-management over natural resources, and I think we're moving to a stage now with the likes of Whānau Ora, and what's happening uh, with our language, where we can work in partnership with government to deliver the outcomes that are going to be meaningful, not only for Māori, but actually for the country. Executive Director Matsurei talks about the settlement process and whether it's viewed within iwi and hapu as a fair and final process. My perception and my understanding of what other people are saying, other Māoris are saying, is that no, they're not fair, um, and consequently they're not full and final. Uh, because what that means is that uh, if you take the strap line healing the past, uh, for example, building the future, well, the, the assumption there is that the settlement has in fact uh, healed the past and that the, the, the Crown is now, and, and successive governments are absolved of whatever they might have done to each, each of the, uh, uh, the tribes of, of, of the country. But, and, and they actually accept the proposition is that the settlements don't do that, right? Uh, but th that's all that they can afford. Um, and so um, take it on that basis. 
So, no, I don't, I don't accept that. I know many other Māoris do not accept uh, that the settlement itself is, is to uh, heal the past. Uh, but what it does allow us to do is, is, is move forward and to do the sorts of things that Jamie's saying about um, building resilience uh, within the tribe uh, and to address issues, uh, social issues, uh, and underachievement in, in education, employment, uh, poor housing or, and, and poor health, those sorts of things. But it doesn't mean to say that we replace uh, the government uh, in terms of what they do in, 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 in all those areas. I mean, we should have access just like every other uh, citizen of the country. But I think uh, one of the areas that really concerns me is that there is a persistent uh, racial tension, if I would put it that way, in this country, and that e even in the bureaucracy and all that, uh, and certainly it's uh, been my experience, at any rate, in dealing with uh, large numbers, well, a number of, of bureaucrats, a number of different ministries, that it's extremely difficult to get the message through to them that we, we should be treated a lot better, as equal as anybody else. But I think, I think that it, it is persistent, and I don't think it's going to go away easily. And I think that's the challenge for all New Zealand, is how we really can be, uh, as, as uh, Henry Williams said, here we kotahitato. Well, really, from our perspective, is it fear? No, it's not. Uh, if, you, if you do it from a purely economic perspective, there was... Uh, roughly uh, 11, 11 to 12 billion dollars of land taken in 1863 and 170 million returned. Okay. Around about uh, one and a half to two percent. If you look at it from a, uh, from a land based uh, settlement, which was the premise of Waikato Tainui, Iriro Fenuatu, Mehoki Fenua Mai, as land was taken, so land should be returned, all of the acreage cannot be repatriated because of the government uh, processes. In, in, uh, around, uh, around private title uh, and all of that. So it's only the government-owned uh, uh, lands within a particular law here uh, that is uh, up for repatriation to iwi. Uh, so is it full? No, it's not. No. Uh, is it going to endure? Then, then, then that's up to the renewed relationship with the, uh, with the government. But then, so you have the promise of the new uh, tomorrow or... Uh, you know, uh, prior to Raupatu, Waikato Tainui was a very prosperous tribe, um, uh, exporting goods into uh, Australia, the Americas, all of, and, and every iwi has their own uh, story to tell. Uh, post Raupatu, uh, all the confiscations of land was uh, absolutely devastating. So in 1946, when Peter Hudinui uh, signed the original uh, settlement for Waikato, uh, it was a full and final settlement at £6,000 in perpetuity. And in 1995, uh, Te Kotahi signed, uh, and uh, signed the Waikato Raupatu Settlements Bill that was full and final, but didn't take into account the awa, didn't take into account other particular areas uh, of Waikato Tainui. So is it full and final? Well, no, uh, because uh, of those particular things, but also about the, the issues that, that have been raised. Uh, and really, uh, so there are some... Uh, not so nice stories over the 20 years, but prior to settlement, Waikato Tainui had two uh, doctoral uh, academic doctors. Now we boast that we're up to 48, and so that's got to be uh, a sign of success uh, over the 20 years.
I think uh, first and foremost, if you look at the, the present institutions, and I use the word institutions, so post-settlement governance entities, um, these were largely developed by government in terms of how they were prescribed um, and put before iwi to accept, albeit through a ratification process. So I think first and foremost, we've got to accept that the current sort of institutional arrangements that we have uh, were largely determined by government. And I think the second point I would make is let's remember um, that, you know, Māori in the early days were very entrepreneurial, um, innovative, engaged in commerce pre, um, you know, during the sort of initial European contact, and we lost a lot of that sort of space. And when you look at uh, Tainui Waikato and uh, Ngaitahu, I mean, they're very young in terms of, uh, by business standards, if you like. 20 years is not a long time in business. And I think what we've got to recognise is that Māori um, are very young in terms of being active managers and governors of assets. Because I know from our Taranaki experience, our land was stolen, our, our people were violated, our, um, our mana, if you like, was uh, trampled by certain sort of crown policy and acts. Um, so it's about us regaining confidence um, and being able to determine what's important to us and manage our assets in a way that's going to meet our expectations and our needs. And it always sort of, um, it sort of grates me somewhat when, you know, a Māori, a tribal business is a private business, yet it seems to be the, uh, you know, it's those issues that sort of are on the front page of the newspapers. Do we look at, at other high net worth families throughout the country and air all of their business on the front page of the newspaper? I think not. This year marks the 175th year since the signing of the treaty. Panel Chair Susie Ferguson asks if, say in 50 years' time, what Māori would think of the process and if they would be satisfied. Well, I won't be there. <laughs> but I, I, I'm pretty optimistic about it. And um, uh, at the end of the day, the settlements are good things. Uh, they're, they're great things. They're great things for this country. And they're great things that there's recognition of past injustices and that as a people we can move on. We just hope all of New Zealand can move on with us, <laughs> uh, would be my take on that. So. I mean, I think first and foremost... Uh, we just need to recognise that any iwi uh, that accepts a settlement um, you know, is very courageous uh, and is very generous. And I think all New Zealanders need to recognise that. In my view, as I said, the settlement is a means to an end. It's not the end. And ultimately, it's about what we make of it. We can always lament the past and focus, you know, remain in grievance mode, but we've actually got to have some confidence and, and look forward. Um, and that comes down to inspirational leadership, strong vision, um, and uh, you know the ability to inspire our people to have higher aspirations and to want more. And I think, you know, moving forward, I've got confidence in our current and future leadership, and I've got a lot of confidence in our youth because they have so much potential. And um, I think we just need to harness that. Well, really. Um uh, I, I think that it's uh, that we've we've got to uh, impress on our mokopuna uh, the skills that they're going to need to face the challenges of their day. So we don't face the same challenges as people like Te Fiti and Te Fero Fero and Te Rauparaha and, and, and others of the ilk. We just simply don't face the challenges uh, today. Uh, we have our own challenges in 2015 uh, going forward, and our mokopuna will face uh, different challenges even to us. And so, you know, we're, 
uh, the, the stats have been already been expressed that um, it's going to be a high Māori workforce uh, in the very, very near uh, future. So they're going to have to tackle a whole a new uh, realm uh, of issues uh, facing them. What can our uh, brothers and sisters, you know, our brothers from another mother uh, do? Uh, well, you know, it's really about understanding and camaraderie. Uh, it's about like Matt was saying, hei kotahi tata. Uh, it's about starting an, again uh, about rejuvenating a one uh, Aotearoa based on understanding of each other's cultural context. I think that um, if we engender our tamariki and our mokopuna with the skills uh, of their heritage uh, and uh, of their reo, of their tikanga and customary practice, then that's going to put them in good stead to be able to stand on any platform in the world, whether it's at a, at a board table, on a marae, uh, or in a parliament, uh, in, a, in a church. Susie Ferguson then asks, as treaty settlements come to a close, will it become more of a thing of the past and less of a thing in the future? Well, I don't think you need to... Um to, to look at it like that, you just need to look at it whether it's going to be a threat to people's lives or not. You know, at the moment, a lot of people think that it's disrupting um, the good government of the country or the region or those kinds of things because they don't properly understand it. The truth is, is that Maoris have got more in common with Pakistan than they've got differences. So, you know, I think that as we as we mature as a society, we're going to come to understand that a lot better, and we're going to feel less. Um, uh, threatened by each other. We're going to continue to marry each other and um, our children are going to be um, mixed. And, um, and I think those things there are going to alleviate any of the fears that people might have that, that somehow there's something terrible coming. I think the, um, you know, the settlements that happened in the 1990s, there were three of them of, of particular significance. They were all about 170 million. Those things have turned, those three settlements have been turned by the administrators and the governors of those into sort of billion dollar enterprises over a 20 year period. And they haven't all been smooth, but they've had, you know, they've had um, a pretty good go at that sort of thing. And they're only going to get better. And so everybody else is thinking, well, we might as well have a go at that as well. And we might as well try and do for our people what they're trying to do for theirs. Most of them are thinking I could do it better um, than those guys. But that's a, that's a good thing, that there's that sort of... It's not competitiveness, it's a rivalry, and it's, you know, we'd like our people to do well. I mean, I hope that in the future, where I come from, in Ngāti Maniapuru, you know, our, our people, as a result of the attention we're able to pay to their development in the future, they're going to be the sort of kids that people say, you know, those kids from... Those, those young men and women from Ngāti Maniapuru... They make the best mothers and the best fathers out of anybody we know because they're prepared for that. They're gonna, they provide for their kids. They're not just good-looking, but they're good parents. <laughs> and you, but you've got to be able to work your way through that in such a way that you can, you can prepare them with education, training, and ethic to work, all of those kinds of things so that they can be a, a great thing. So that people will look at those people and say, man, man marry, marry someone from there. Yeah, <laughs> Kia ora, highlights there from this year's treaty debate. 